We're in Daniel chapter 10, verses 12 through 21, the unseen realm, part two, if you would stand for reading of God's word. Starting in verse 12, then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come because of your words, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes came to help me for I had been left alone with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. When he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. And suddenly one having a likeness of the sons of men touched my lips, and I, then I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood before me, My Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me, and I have retained no strength. For how can this servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? As for me, no strength remains in me now, nor is any breath left in me. Then again, the one having the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. So when he spoke to me, I was strengthened. And I said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. And I have gone forth. Indeed, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. No one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. This is the word of God. Please be seated. The unseen realm, part two. We have, we're understanding that there is an unseen realm. There's a spirit world that is around us that is active and actually is working. The, the dark part of the spirit world is working against the things of God. And the light parts of the spirit world are working for the things of God. Now, as you know, the theme of Daniel is God is sovereign over nations, over rulers, and over your life, that God is in charge. The spirit world might try to have its way, but God ultimately is in charge. We also know that God raises up kingdoms and he brings down kingdoms, and we saw this very vividly with Daniel and the statue that Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome all had their time, and we're living in the Roman time, and the the right leg and the left leg of iron, and we have an east and west division of nations in this world today that are in conflict, struggling for control of the world. Satan and his demons are active behind the scenes. And we know that one of these days, Jesus will come back and establish his kingdom. But until then, there's tumult. There are darkness of this age as are working against the things of God. But I want you to remember that God is sovereign. God is in control. God is orchestrating all of, this, all of these things behind the scenes. And it, think about this. Every time Satan and his demonic hordes think they have made some inroads, every single time God counters their move. It's like, check, 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 checkmate, you're done, Satan. God is always a step ahead of what, what the demonic realm is doing. Can you imagine the frustration in the demonic realm? Daniel will give us a sneak peek in this world of angelic conflicts. Uh, and before he had, gives us this sneak peek, Daniel is introduced, remember, to the pre-incarnate Jesus in verse 5 and 6. Remember, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with gold of euphaz, his body was like pearl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words were like a multi voice of a multitude. And he sees this, he loses all of his strength, and he falls on his face. He sees a pre-incarnate Jesus. He needs to know that he's going to see things about the spirit realm that ultimately Jesus Christ reigns and he's in control. He sees this vision first before he gets input into what's happening into the spirit realm. And I want, we talked about this. The main focus of Satan's attack is the soul. It's the mind of, of a person thoughts, feelings, and emotions. And he uses deception. Deception. Many times in Scripture, Satan is there to deceive, to deceive, to deceive. But it's not just deception. He brings discouragement. He brings lies. And he brings distractions. And I'm going to emphasize this distractions in our talk in just a few minutes. Now remember this. Satan oftentimes appears as an angel of light. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 14. For Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light, and as ministers, as ministers of righteousness. But always remember, behind it all, he is a lying thief. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That is his calling card. And Jesus came to give us something very different. He came to give us life and give it to us abundantly. 
Not just a little bit, abundantly. And I love that. In this mind control war, remember, we are living in this world that is, there's a a decided, pointed effort to control the way that you think, to bring inputs into your mind that are counter to God, that give you a worldview that is very secular, and to take you away from a biblical worldview. That is happening all the time. So we must realize this battle is going on, and our focus must not be on ourselves. Our focus must not be on the demonic realm, but our focus must be all eyes on whom? All eyes on Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. He's the one that's going to get us through this whole thing. It's all eyes on him. So mind control games. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And then we use some we talked about some survival tactics last week. How do we survive these, these demonic attacks, these, 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 these indoctrinations that are coming this way? Well, the number one thing I emphasized was in James 4, 7. First of all, submit yourself to God. You have to be saved. You have to be under God's cover. You must submit yourself to God. Secondly, resist the devil and he will flee. That's a promise. And then come near to God and he will come near to you. James 4, 7 very specifically says this. In 2 Corinthians 10.5, we are to take captive every thought. Remember, it's a mind war. It's a battle for the control of your thinking. Take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And then we talked about Ephesians chapter 6, the armor of God. We briefly touched on it because it wasn't a talk on the armor. But we were to take on the whole armor of God. And I made the emphasis that you keep your armor on. You keep yourself ready. When the attack comes, you don't go, where's my helmet of salvation? You don't ask your wife, where's the sword of the Spirit? I know I put it someplace, dear. Please help me. You know, we want to know where this stuff is and have it on and ready all the time. So Daniel, is an, he sees the vision of the pre-incarnate Christ. He is an abject fear. The angel touches him, and he, it, it gives, him, gives him the comfort. And he says, oh, Daniel, man greatly beloved. I'm telling you, how many times do we need to feel the comfort of God, to know that we're okay? Put your name there. Oh, whoever you are, man or woman, you are greatly beloved. Understand the words that I speak to you, Daniel. And the angel, and I think this angel is possibly Gabriel. It's an unnamed angel, but he sounds like Gabriel. He's got all the trappings of Gabriel, but he's not mentioned. This, whoever this angel is will give us insight into this cosmic war, the war to undermine nations, to undermine governments, and to undermine your life. This week, The Unseen Realm, Part 2. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. And as always, Lord, we ask you to open our eyes, to open our hearts, to set things aside for just a moment, and to hear what you have for us today. This is so important. It is so under-talked about. I pray today that you will illuminate our spirits to the truth and reveal to us things that you want us to know. In Jesus' name, amen. So, just a little introduction. We talked about the spirit realm. We've talked about the reality of angels. But I want you to know this. Jesus created the angels. In Colossians 1.16, it describes various categories of angels who Christ created. And he's, he's the ruler over all of them. All of them. It says this, For by him all things were created that were in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones and dominions or principalities or powers. These are structures. These are, there's a hierarchy in the angelic realm, both the good angels and the bad angels. All things were created through him and for him. So I, I want to just show you just a couple of things. Andy Woods, in his work on Daniel chapter 10, gives us this picture, the biblical reality of angels in our world. Now, realize that some people don't believe in angels. Some people don't believe in the spirit realm. Some people overemphasize angels in the spirit realm. You have to realize it. But there's a balance that we are to be aware of in Scripture. So, what Andy has shown here, he's just got some Scriptures there. And he has Job chapter 1, verse 12. But I would suggest to you Job chapter 1, verse 6 and 7 would be more appropriate for this. And it says this, All the angels, both good and bad, elect and fallen, must present themselves before God for accountability. Satan had to do this in Job chapter 1. He has to stand before God and give an account.
that that is one of the pictures that we see of the angelic realm. They must be accountable to God. Secondly, in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 15 and 17, a lot of people wonder what is going on around them. And Elisha had an experience where the king of Syria wanted him dead. And so he sends his army to, to get Elijah to kill him, to capture him, to get him out of the way, because he keeps revealing things to the nation of Israel that Syria is going to do. He's a prophet. He's getting a word from God. So this guy that is with him, his cohort, is fearful. His, his servant is fearful. And so Elijah he reveals to him the, in the spirit realm what's going on. And this angelic army is all around Elijah that his servant is allowed to see. The angelic realm is real. In 1 Chronicles chapter 21.1, we see Satan stood up against Israel and moved against David. Now, what did he do? He put into David's mind to take a census. Why was this so egregious? Because David was trusting in his army more than he was trusting in his God. And God did not like this, and David had to choose between three things that were going to be a punishment for this decision. And he chose to have God place upon the nation of Israel for three days a plague, and 70,000 people died. Now, I want you to realize this. One person's indiscretion caused the death of 70,000 people in the nation of Israel. Now, I want to show you something. We've talked about this before, what sin does. Sin is never, ever in isolation. So when somebody says, I'm not hurting you by doing this, hey, I'm taking my drugs, it's not doing anything to hurt you, I'm doing whatever I'm doing, it's not doing any, uh, no way. It always has a ripple effect. In this illustration, Achan is the one that is given as the illustration. The nation of Israel was told to take Jericho. They did what they were supposed to do. They had a great victory, and all full of himself, they go and try to take Ai. Now, they can't take Ai because Achan has taken some of the treasures out of Jericho, strictly prohibited by God. Now, we read this as a consequence. No one lives or acts in isolation. One decision can impact individuals, families, and even a nation. The sin of Achan resulted in a national defeat and his family's death. The sin of one man resulted in a defeat in Ai, a little teeny city that should have been easily conquered because God was not with them. And his family suffers and his family dies because of his sin. Now contrast this. This is important. A godly man's example can influence his great-grandchildren. Every decision and action has a ripple effect that touches those around us. So you can sin, and it can have an awful effect, or you can be a righteous person, and that ripple effect is just as, as, as significant. It will impact all the, way down, all the way down to your grandchildren. Faithfulness of God also ripples. Now, Daniel chapter 10, verse 12 and 13, we see the prince of Persia stood up against the good angel, and the prayers were delayed for 21 days. There's a spiritual fight between angels. I don't know how they fight. They can't kill one another. They're spirit beings, but they're duking it out somehow in the spirit realm. So this thing is delayed 21 days until Michael is dispensed to break the deadlock. In Matthew chapter 16, 21 through 23, we have more of a picture of what angels do, and this is what Satan does. Peter is rebuking Jesus about going to Jerusalem to die. Jesus says, well, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and die, and Peter says this, Far be it from you, Lord, that this shall happen to you. Did Jesus respond to Peter and say, Oh, Peter, you're just so kind and wonderful. You're just looking out for my welfare. I know you want the best for me, Peter. No, he did not say that. He said, get ye behind me, Satan, for you are an offense to me. The problem is, is that Peter is acting in concert with Satan, with Satan's desire to thwart the plan of God. These things are happening all around us. In Ephesians 6.12, it says, our fight is not against flesh and blood. It's not a human fight, but a spiritual fight. There are spiritual battles going on, powers and principalities and etc. There's a real spirit world. And in Revelation chapter 12, there's kind of a crescendo with this. And if you can get there really quick in your Bibles, you can follow along with me. It's Revelation chapter 12, verse 7. And while you're turning there, I will speak to you. 
and war broke out in heaven. Can you imagine a war in heaven? Someone with the hubris, the arrogance, to think that they can attack the throne of God. That's what Satan did. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail. Nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. See, Satan and his demonic angels still have access to heaven right to this day. This is a mid-tribulation talk here. This is a mid-tribulation point. So right now, they have to give an account. Right now, Satan is an accuser of the brethren. Right now, they still are, have access to, to the throne of God, to the council of God. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil, and Satan who deceives the whole world, he was cast to the earth, and the angels were cast out with him. So all the demonic hordes, in Satan and his demonic hordes, all of them now no longer have access to, to God, no longer in the middle of tribulation, no longer are in the heavenlies. That's where their second, that's where their abode is right now. They function mostly in the second heaven. They are be cast out in the middle of the tribulation, and all of them will come down to earth to cause carnage on the earth. Now heaven is ecstatic. They are just they're just thrilled that they're that they're gone. But it says to this, for the, the inhabitants beware. It says, Rejoice in heaven, verse 12, and you who dwell in them, but woe to the inhabitants of the earth, for the devil has come down having great wrath because he knows his time is short. So there is war in heaven. Angels are real. Angels are active, both good and bad. That's what we want to get down. So some more angel facts for you, just very quickly. They are created beings. We already said this in Colossians 1.16. God is it's not like Satan and God are almost on the same same par, same level. Oh no, God is the creator, Satan is the created. Vast difference. Angels saw the world created, interesting, in Job 38, verses 4 through 10. They can appear in bodies, and they always appear as male. They never appear as female. And guess what? They never appear as little cupids. The Bible suggests that there's guardian angels in Matthew 18.10. They're powerful. One angel slew 185,000 Assyrians alone in 2 Kings 19.35. And I found this very interesting. Angels have a desire to learn. And they learn by observing us. And the thing that they're most curious about is the grace of God given to humanity that allows them to be saved. They long to look at these things, the salvation that is afforded to humans. Now, in Daniel chapter 10, 11, and 12, it will come up on the screen, is an intelligent report to believers that Satan tries to block. God has information he wants Daniel to have, and by extension, he wants us to have today. He wants us to know what is going to happen in the future. So verses 12 through 15, the angel explains the delay. Verse 12, then he said to me, now this is after he's, he's been knocked down, he's on his hands, he's been touched. Then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come because of your words. Oh, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days with that spirit fight. And behold, Michael came to the rescue. One of the chief princes came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings, plural, of Persia, multiple demonic entities. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. And when he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. Recall, some prayers are answered immediately. Some prayers are delayed, and some answers to prayer are simply no. Yes, no, and wait are valid answers to prayer. Even though we want them right now. Lord, this is a really important one i got to have it right now. 
That's how we usually respond. Daniel, in a state of awe and fear, now remember he saw the pre-incarnate Jesus. He's still reeling from this. The angel has to deal with him, so he goes from a state of panic and fear and abject terror to be able to hear it. He has to calm Daniel first. And I want you to think about something. Panic and fear-laden people, it can happen to any of us. Panic or fear can come, come into our beings. Consume with the moment. We then cannot hear from God. We must be still and know that I am God, says the Scripture. We must still our hearts, still our spirits, and trust God. Then we can hear. His word to Daniel is God's word to us all through Scripture. Do not fear. Over and over and over. Now, look, at if you're a person that has a proclivity for worry and fear and anxiety, like I do, this is a great word for me. You're weird to live one day at a time, not project into the future, not be thinking about, oh, what might happen. Each day has enough trouble of its own, Jesus says. We are to not fear. Daniel's prayers were heard immediately. You know why they were heard? He had the right heart, and he had the right attitude. He had a heart to understand, and he was humbled, and he heard an answer. In verse 12, Daniel, he was mourning for three full weeks. We saw at the beginning of the chapter. He was on the fast at the beginning of the chapter, yet his face is towards the ground, and he wanted to understand the, the, the message that the angel had, but he's disturbed. Angel came because of his words. Remember that. The angel came because of his words. Prayer matters. I cannot emphasize that enough. Prayer matters. Answers, prayers, oftentimes are delayed, but they matter. In Luke chapter 18, verse 1, Jesus gives it a great example of this. It's the widow who keeps pestering the judge. And he keeps, she keeps pestering and pestering and pestering. And finally, the judge just gives up and says, okay, okay, be persistent in your prayers. The angel was delayed for three weeks. Can you imagine if Daniel just gave up at the 20th, 20th day or the 18th day? He kept praying, and, that, and his answer came. Now, why the delay? Why the delay? Well, I would suggest to you it's this. Satan did not want Daniel to receive the intelligence report. He did not want Daniel, nor does he want you to know what in the world is going to happen in our futures. An angel battle caused a delay. And then Michael comes to the rescue. Michael, one of the chief priests. I want to emphasize that. One of the chief priests. What's Michael's position? He is an archangel. But it says here he's one of the archangels. We don't know how many there are. He's the only one mentioned in Scripture. Some people believe Gabriel is an archangel. I don't know about that. But Michael specifically is mentioned as an archangel. So there's many archangels. Many. And he says, he helps the, the lesser powerful angel. And I want you to realize God is never lacking for resources in the battle. He always has what is needed for you to win the battle. Now, what was this intelligence report? Well, verse 14 is going to tell us, to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days. Now, what Daniel, and that's chapter 11 and 12, it's going to be very detailed what's going to happen to your people. He's already seen this, this vision. He's disturbed by it, and he's going to get more explanation on it. And chapters 11, 12 are going to very detailed information on this. Now, why Michael? Why, why did Michael come to the, to the rescue? If there's, if there's multiple archangels, why does Michael come to the rescue? Well, it, chapter 12, verse 1 will give us the answer to this. Michael is the one who stands watch over Israel. Michael is the one, the archangel, whose chief job is to stand watch over Israel. Chapter 12, verse 1. The setting here is going into the, is a tribulation period. If we go through Daniel chapter 11, you're going to see the last part of this is the Antichrist. The Antichrist is in the tribulation period. And then Daniel is mentioned at that time in the tribulation period. Michael shall stand up, and I think this is the middle of the tribulation period, talking about the abomination of desolation, when Satan indwells the Antichrist, 
And the Antichrist is going to try to kill every Jew that he possibly can kill. The, that great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, known as Jacob's trouble in the tribulation period. Jeremiah mentions it in Jeremiah 37 and many other verses. Such as never, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book, and I would suggest to you that's the book of life, two-thirds of the Jewish people will fall for the Antichrist lie. They will follow him, think he's the man of peace, that he's the false Christ. He's going to come across as, as the false Messiah, and they're going to fall for him two-thirds of the nation, but one-third won't. The key thing that will tell them that, that this is the false Christ is the abomination of desolation. When he sets himself up as be worshipped as God in the temple. And that one-third is going to exit stage left. They don't believe in Messiah at that point, but they know this is wrong. But they will eventually be the ones who believe. All of them. All of them. Michael is a key figure for the protection of Israel. Michael, with the authority of God, Remember, the exousia of God, the authority of God, is Israel's protector. And I want you to think about this. The nation of Israel thinks their protection is in their might, the IDF, the Israel Defense Force. They think it's in their great intelligence. They think it's in their financial prowess. They think it's in their technology. But Israel's protection is in her God, not in Israel itself. He's a covenant-keeping God. And now I want to just give you just a side note for just a second. Just something to think about. We are talking about, the scripture calls this, sometimes it's known as, colloquially as, territorial spirits. But we know that Shadim are, 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 a, are an angel type that is a powerful angel over different geographical areas. There are some people that postulate that there are angels over nations, angels over cities, angels over different areas like that. We see this suggested in, in our text today, the prince of Persia, the prince of Greece, and that sort of thing. But never do you see in Scripture anybody given an admonition to bind the prince of Persia, to bind the prince of Greece, to bind the prince of Russia, or the prince of Iran, or whoever's over those things. You don't see that. A guy named Grant Richeson says this, the Bible never suggests that believers are to command demons to give up national territory. In Daniel 10, God sent the archangel Michael to deal with the fallen angels responsible for Persia and Greece. The content of the gospel itself, the gospel is powerful, folks. The contents of the gospel itself has power unto salvation, though there is no need for power encounters with this demonic realm to validate God's message. The word of God is living and active and powerful as a double-edged sword. It divides the soul and spirit, joints and marrow, judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. We have the Holy Spirit who is omnipotent and all-powerful, and God will accomplish his purpose. No demon entity can ever stop God. Just remember that. This 21-day delay was angel combat. We don't know how they fight. We don't know a lot about this. We're giving a little peek into it, but realize that God is in control. Now, I want you to remember something else. Satan's strategy is to delay this information, to block the truth. And you know what you do when you block the truth? You crush hope. You cr Satan is a hope crusher. And God makes sure that we hear the truth that we know the truth, and I can tell you unequivocally, God is a hope giver. He is a God of hope. Now, we've talked about Satan's discouragement in the past. We talked about his deception. We talked about him being a destructor, a liar, a thief, and that sort of thing. He came to steal, kill, and destroy. But a key Satan tactic is distraction. He uses anything to distract people from the truth, to keep their mind filled with something other than him, filled with the world. No other culture that has ever, ever, ever lived has had this type of distraction attack. Notice this. Cell phones. 
And everyone is on their cell phone. It is not just young people. Old people are doing the same thing. We're in it constantly. We have one second of boredom and we're into it. And this is bringing contrary information into our spirits. Magazines that have all kinds of worldviews in here that are anti-God. Television sets. The great distraction indoctrination device television sets. Distraction by everything in the world. We are living in a culture that has never experienced distraction like this. And don't think there's not a spirit realm behind this. I want to also suggest to you something else. Remember who Satan really is. He has tools. He has weapons. Remember, he is the tempter of all humanity. All humanity. He is a deceiver. He is a robber of hope. He is a robber of values. He is the accuser of the brethren. This is what we are dealing with with the demonic realm. Never think they are benevolent. Never think that they are out for your good. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That is exactly what this enemy does. In verse 15, Daniel hears what the first angel says. And he becomes speechless. He falls on his face towards the ground. And now remember this. Daniel is about 90 years old. Some people think late 80s, early 90s. And he's overwhelmed by what he sees and he hears. And I believe that God sends a second angel, a resuscitation angel, a ministering angel. Now, most, most people believe that there's only one angel that is involved in this, but I, I think there's two, and I'm going to show you why. Most skosh. So follow along with me. Verse 16 through 21. A third angel, a ministering angel, I was going to put a resuscitation angel, a first aid angel, comes to the right. So it seems to be somebody different here. And suddenly, it sounds like a different one, one having the likeness of the sons of men, touched my lips, and I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood before me, My Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me. I've retained no strength. Or how can this servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? As for me, no strength remains in me now, nor is any breath left in me. Daniel is struggling right now. He is a 90-year-old guy struggling for his life right now. Then again, the one having the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me, the resuscitation guy. And he said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not, peace be to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. So when he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I have gone forth, indeed the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. In the scripture of truth. Let that resonate. You have the scripture of truth before you. No one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. Now, why do I think there's a couple of angels here? Turn with me just a couple pages to Daniel chapter 12, verse 5. Remember, Daniel chapter 10, 11, and 12 are one, one talk, one thought, one experience. He's got a vision, and the vision's going to be explained. And we see this in verse 5. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there stood two others, one on this riverbank, and the other on that riverbank. And I'm suggesting to you these are the two ones that are talking to him in chapter 10. The two ones. Now watch what happens. And one said, one of these angels said, to the man clothed in linen. Now remember, that person we believe was a pre-incarnate Jesus. In verses 5 and 6, 10 verse 5 and 6. Who was above the waters of the river. How long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? And then Jesus tells them, times the three-and-a-half-year period of time. I believe that we're dealing with a couple of different angels here. Now, again, some commentators don't agree with that. There are a few that do. You can choose your own poison. You can go along with it or not. It'll be up to you, but that's the way I'm going to address it. So, Daniel is 90 years old. 
He's had quite an experience, and I want to give you a picture here of a guy called D. Paul Beck. Actually, I got the other pictures from him also. He's on the Internet, and he has tremendous information on the book of Daniel, and I would highly recommend you listen to him, but don't believe everything he says. Okay? Just like you might have to check out everything I say. So he says some things that are... You can just discern for yourself. But anyway, he's got a lot of great things to say. Now, we have this picture of, of, of we see, four beings. And I got this from his website. Uh, we believe that this is a pre-incarnate Jesus. This is in verse 5 and 6. We believe this is the angel, and I think he's probably Gabriel, but doesn't say his name. And then Gabriel mentions Michael came to help him over the prince of per princes plural, of Persia, and then there seems to be this other person that comes in, the resuscitation angel, the first aid angel, comes to the rescue and gives him strength and strengthens him. So that is what I think is going on here. So with that, hang with me, Daniel appears like he's dying, and the angel renders first aid in verse 18, the resuscitation angel. Verse 17, Daniel has trouble breathing, has no strength, he's exhausted. His systems are failing. When your systems start to fail, what do they call that? They call that shock. I'm going into shock. He's, he, this is a dying situation. The angel gives him first aid. He touched me. He strengthened me. Now watch this. Once, he, once he's strengthened in verse 19, he's encouraged. And how is he encouraged? These words are spoken, O man greatly beloved. Fear not. Now, remember, Daniel is greatly beloved. We learn from past lessons, and particularly the end of chapter 9, that Christ's church is greatly beloved. His elect are greatly beloved. His people who are in his family are greatly beloved. Greatly beloved. He touched him. You are greatly you are loved, Daniel. Fear not. Peace be with you. And that peace in the Hebrew is shalom be with you. You're familiar with the word, but shalom means more than just tranquility. It means completeness, soundness of mind, and health, Daniel. You be complete, Daniel. You have soundness of mind, Daniel. You be healthy, Daniel. Strong. Be strong, Daniel. Get moving, Daniel. Hurry up, Daniel. There's some pressure here. There's a, I have things I need to do, Daniel. So get moving. So like Daniel, in our spiritual battles, what do we have? We don't get angels that come and touch us, but we have the Holy Spirit, rod of iron, up our spine, as Donald Barnhouse puts, us, puts it, that tells us that we can stand against anything that comes against us. We have the omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God dwelling within us, saying, be strong, be strong, and put your name there. And he says, I am your strength. Lean on me. When you are so stressed, you can't, you lean on me. Daniel's 90 and he's strengthened. And I want to suggest to you, it doesn't matter your age. Daniel at age 90 is still in the battle. He's not in the rear. He's not in, in some little, 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 little covered up bed or something with his blankets over his head saying, I'm not here, or I've done my job, and you guys go ahead. No, he's in it to the end. May this be our response to life's onslaught. Verse 19, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Wouldn't you like to hear that? Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. And now he can receive the message. Now he's ready to hear. Now he's been strengthened by God. Now, no matter what is going on in his life, he can hear God speak to him. Verse 20, do you understand why I have come? I must return to fight. There's, again, there's a hurried pace here. I must get back to the fight. The prince of Persia is awaiting me. And then the prince of Greece, he's the next one on the agenda. Folks, hear this. Spiritual warfare is happening all around us. When you see conflicts between people, 
conflicts between family members, conflicts between husbands and wives, conflicts of any level. There are We wrestle not against flesh and blood. And it says in Ephesians chapter 6, but powers and principalities and that sort of thing. There's always some sort of spirit churning up the waters. Churning up the waters. So the spiritual warfare is happening all around. There's efforts to block the truth. In the culture today, do you sense that there's an effort to block the truth coming at you? Yes, there is. What is coming at you 24-7? One lie after another. One distortion after There's never been a culture that has had this much distortion. And in order to disorient the culture, in order to indoctrinate a culture, what must that culture do? That culture has to systematically remove God from the centrality of the culture, right? Because God is truth. Thy word is truth. The Holy Spirit is truth. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You must take that out. So what have we systematically done out of our government, out of our schools, out of our educational system, out of our workplace, out of our holidays? It's the Easter Bunny. It's Santa Claus. It's happy holidays. We systematically, there's a strategy here. There's an undercurrent spirit strategy to take God out. You have to take him out of the culture for, to, to win this war. That's why we, as the believers, the remnant church, we're the remnant church that has to stand up. We have the light of the gospel of Christ. We cannot capitulate. We cannot capitulate. Though others do, we must not. We must not. So. Daniel remembered the statue of Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome, these nations that rose and these nations that fall, all by the orchestration of God. And think about this. Persia and Greece, Daniel realized that there were kings in, these, in that statue, didn't he? Nebuchadnezzar, and then Xerxes, and then Alexander the Great, and then you had the Neros for Rome and that sort of thing. He knew that there were, there were physical rulers there, but he didn't realize the spiritual dimension behind these rulers, the undercurrent. He gets an expanded view in chapter 11 in particular. I want you to realize something. There's a Medo-Persian empire that connected Greece with the Far East. There's a connection. There are spirit entities. They're all over the place. And there's a communication between the East and the West. The East and the West. Now, I want you to think about something. I don't want to miss this. There are principalities and powers that are at work all through this world. Hinduism. There's literally millions of gods in Hinduism. Millions of gods. They believe in reincarnation. They believe in uh, karma. They believe in meditation or channeling. You know when you get into meditation and channeling at this level, you're contacting the demonic realm. Yoga. These yoga positions that we all look at as so innocent. I, I mean, I can't really do any. But <laughs> they all have a purpose to open up channels to the demonic realm. So be very careful with yoga. I'm not saying that you can't stretch and all that stuff, but be very careful with it. Avatars. We, there was a movie, Avatars. You know what avatars are? These are Hindu gods that come to earth. Buddha was an avatar. Krishna was an avatar. And they look at Christ as being an avatar. Just another avatar. Buddhism become one with the universe. Nirvana. Just everything just kind of flows together. And then this is Confucianism. Yes, Confucianism. Yeah. Harmony, social values. That's what they're focused on. This is humanism to the nines. This is humanism on steroids. On the East, you have Aristotle, and you have other thinkers. Both of these realms are swapping demonic entities, and it happens all over our world today. These are real forces and real powers. In the East, you have mystical thinkers. In the West, you have the elite educational thinkers. Spiritual demonic forces, all designed to take people away from the true God and billions, billions are influenced by this. Billions. Isn't that something? These demonic angelic conflicts are influencing history and humanity's worldview. And again, billions are trapped in darkness and don't even know it. 
They don't know it. Most of our world is blinded and need the light of the gospel of Christ. Folks, we have a job, and that is to be light. You are the light of the world. Don't hide your light. Don't hide your light. Don't be ashamed of the light. In verse 21, we see this angel's in a hurry. Why the hurry? The angel must get back in the battle, must get back into the battle. He's going to be fighting. The centrality of this fight is the nation of Israel. I will tell you what is noted in the scripture, he says. What will take place and what is involved will take place. The spiritual battles, the nations that are involved with Israel. Now, I want to suggest to you something. Last point here. There is a sense today that the battle is raging. Time is short, and Satan is desperate. Hear that. He knows what's coming. He knows what's in the Word. He repeated the Word to Jesus in the wilderness during the temptations of Jesus, inaccurately, but he did. Many Christians are sidelined, distracted, deceived, numbed, and useless. There's never been a culture so numbed as this culture. And I want to suggest to you something that has happened in our country very systematically. In the 1960s, my wonderful generation brought in the drug movement. And in the drug movement, everybody starts smoking pot. Now, pot isn't the worst drug in the world that you can take, but it does do something very significant. It numbs you. And it makes you less motivated to be the best you can be. And now we have approved this in our country, and there's a systematic numbing of our culture that is going on. There's a spiritual entity that is behind all of this. Don't think there isn't. There really is. So distract, deceive, numbness, useless. How sad. How sad. And the church, it's happened to the church as much as it's happened to the rest of the world. The church is numbed. The church doesn't know what's going on. The church doesn't want to do anything with prophecy. The church wants hip-hip-hooray sessions. They want pep talks. They, people come to church to get a pep talk and to, and to be able to leave. And, oh, I feel like I was at a concert. And did you see the worship and the lights and the action? And they had smoke. They had smoke that came up. And, oh, it was so great. I just felt the spirit there. I don't know what spirits you're feeling, but numbed indoctrinated. That is what has happened in our country. It's a tragedy. Folks, this is our time. God has placed you here for a specific purpose and time. There's no accident that you're here. It's not by coincidence. Nothing happens that way with God. He's orchestrating everything and behind the scenes. This is our time. And may it be said of us like of the Apostle Paul, when everything is said and done, and we're laying there, and we've passed on, and people are looking at our lives. May this be said of you, like it did the apostle in 2 Timothy 4, 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I did not abdicate. I, I was like Daniel, and I was not indoctrinated to the culture. I did not buy into the lies. The majority do. It's so easy to get pulled in with the majority. Oh, no. We stood out and we stood different. Folks, there is an unseen realm. It is active. Its desire is to numb you and to take you out of action as believers in Christ. In conclusion, the unseen realm part two. There's an unseen battle in the heavenlies we know little about. Daniel 10 gives us a sneak peek, a small peek into these angelic conflicts. Daniel chapter 10 and 11 and 12 gives us an intelligence report. Israel is at the center of world events, folks. But the entire world will be impacted by this intelligence report because there's an Antichrist that's coming that will not only impact Israel, but the entire world. Be aware of it. We'll see that in chapters 11 and 12. Satan wants this information blocked. See, if you don't teach prophecy, this information is blocked. He's been successful. He's been successful. He wants people blinded to the truth. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of Christ. We know that there are good angels. We know that there are bad angels. 
We know that Satan and his demons are very active and seek to promote his ways, his worldview. There are satanic systems in place. There are ranking demonic principalities. Think of Russia. And we think about this thing. We always think about Russia and China and Iran and all these places. But think about America. Think about the demonic, realm, the demonic entity that is over America, affecting America today. Our, in our relationship with Israel, do you know that we are one president away to no longer supporting Israel? And I want to suggest to you something else. America, as it stands today, as weakened as we are, and Israel are the only two countries on earth that are supporting a worldview that is contrary to globalism. Globalism is something that is part of this whole end-time thing where we all become one people like Nimrod at the Tower of Babel, all one people, and humanism rules. That is from the devil. That is not from God. Borders God put in place. They have borders for nations and people. People can't be trusted to be together. Remember the Abrahamic covenant. I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse thee in Genesis 12.3. Folks, America is changing in these troubling times. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And be still and realize he is in control and make every effort to resist indoctrination. Daniel, prior to his death, saw the pre-incarnate Jesus. He knew where the real power is. Folks, we must know where the real power is. We are on the winning team. We are on the winning team. Chapter 10, 11, and 12 is going to help us to realize that God is ultimately in control. Satan thinks he's having his way, but he is not. God is working all things out according to the counsel of his will. And his will will be done. Though the earth may shake, folks, and it will. Though the waters may roar, and the world is troubled, and it is. Kingdoms are in conflict, and they are. Battles are raging because God is in control. We have nothing to fear. Let me say it again. Because God is in control, we have nothing to fear. You stay under his cover, you stay close to the shepherd, and he will protect you. There is an unseen realm. Be aware, be discerning, keep watch. Remember Jesus said, keep watch, keep watch. The ten virgins. Keep watch. Five oil and five nuts. Keep watch. You don't know when he's coming back. Keep watch. Keep watch over your heart. You stay under his cover. You stay close to the shepherd, and he will protect you. Yes, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this time to study your word. And Lord, I know that your word is true. I know that you've given us a promise that it will not return void. I know that you have spoken to people here today in their area of need. We each hear, as always, something different in a talk, something is emphasized to us that you are putting into our hearts. Now, we have to realize that you are speaking to us. And if you take time to speak to us, we have the responsibility to be still and to hear. So right now, I ask that you do your work in each heart, and each one of us will be still and hear what you have said to us today. Thank you for this time to study your word, the true, living word of God. In Jesus' name, amen.